encouraging, inspiring, and empowering mothers on their parenting journey. Welcome to the O Baby Podcast. Being a mum can be overwhelming and unrelenting, we know. Each episode, we'll be bringing you the top tips, advice, and words of wisdom from experts and industry leaders to help you navigate your own path. It's the information you can trust. Mama, you got this. This episode is brought to you by H&M. So welcome to the O Baby Empowered Parents podcast. I'm Angela Peterson, founder of O Baby. Christina, our editor, and I thought we'd mix it up a bit and I get to host today. Um, This is our first time we'll also be available on YouTube. So if you want to watch us talk or listen from your TV while you're around the house, then you get to do that on YouTube now. So today I get the privilege of speaking with our guest today, Chantelle Hofstein. Chantelle is a clinical psychologist working with children and adults, author of several books, including a children's book, The Big Balloon, uh, which helps children and truth be told adults uh, process their big emotions. Chantelle hosts mindful parenting classes, including our very own collab, our online parenting course, which is available online at obaby.co.nz forward slash mindful parenting. Welcome, Chantelle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so good to see you again. I actually think back to um, when we were, were recording the mindful parenting class, and um, sometimes on occasion, I go back to like watch some of the videos, and you're just so calm. <laughs> you know, your voice is so calming and it's just like I've got to channel my inner Chantelle when I'm talking to my children <laughs> yeah I, I do I do hear that sometimes but um it, it's not always the reality but yeah people do find that I come across very zen yeah you do. even though I'm not always feeling that way <laughs> fake it till you make it <laughs> something like that Hey, so tell us about yourself. Tell us about, you know, the course and and getting to that point and your family. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, my name is Chantal Hofstey. I'm um, a clinical psychologist and a mother of three, Um, originally from the Netherlands, but have been living in New Zealand for about 10, 11 years now. Um, My kids are currently nine, six and two and a half. And several years ago i started a private practice and together with one uh colleague uh shirley pasteroff who's a counselor and i was running mindfulness courses at the time and shirley and i as we were just having our catch-ups over lunch and you know chit chat in between sessions we were often talking about how those strategies were actually really helpful in our parenting she has five kids at the time i only had one um And then, yeah, the idea was born to adapt the material into a mindful parenting course. Um, Since we did that, I had two more kids, so lots of opportunities to practice. And um, yeah, I think that was now probably six, seven years ago um, and have been teaching that material all that time and adjusted it and adapted it as we go and as we learned more things and um yeah that's how I got into mindful parenting really 
as a parent, but also as somebody that helps other parents incorporate that in their parenting. And it's it's one of the elements of my work that I really, really love. Um, and I use it also in individual sessions a lot. So when I'm working with children who have um, some sort of need uh, psychologically, my preference is very often to work with the child and the parents, because I think really that's where you get the best results. Um, if, if we can change the dynamics at home in a positive way for everyone, that usually lasts much longer and is really, really helpful. So, yeah. What else would you like to know? <laughs> um, I You just touched on the fact that, you know, it's it's working with the family really, isn't it? Because often what we're feeling inside as parents, we see in our kids. Um, mm. So tell me about mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness is, is very interesting and helpful in, in my view. It's nothing new. It's been around as long as human beings have been around. It has had lots of different names, different cultures practice it in different ways. Um, there's also a lot of definitions for it, but the one that I really like is mindfulness is a combination of attention, paying attention, and paying attention in a non-judgmental way. So I think, especially in the West, we are you know, highly distractible. Um, you know, there's so much stuff going on that we actually are quite, it's hard for a lot of people to really pay attention to something. Um, but that is a, a main element of mindfulness. And the other one, which I also find is, is hard work for a lot of people, including myself, is to observe those things without jumping to an opinion, jumping to a judgment, jumping to a label, but to just observe it without thinking about it, if that makes sense. So it can apply to a lot of different things. Um, you can practice it intentionally, like I'm doing, I'm doing three minutes of mindfulness practice. But I think more and more the way I see it, it is actually just an approach to life in general and an approach to training your thoughts to be more mindful in just everyday life. Um, and that will really, really help in lots of different ways. And, and one of those ways is that it really reduces the activation of our stress response um, because often our response, that, that stress response, so the adrenaline and the cortisol are often activated because we're actually not paying attention, but we're, our mind has drifted off to something negative or positive, which triggers stress, or we are very judgmental in our thinking, which triggers a lot of stress. Mm. So yeah, in a nutshell, that is how I see mindfulness. That's good. That's good. So what, what's an example of like a moment where you've like caught yourself like, okay, let's get into that mode. Oh, it happens all the time. Um, even well, this morning might be a good example, just like the rest of the country, we've had lots of rain and it's very muddy and I'm completely over the rain. Um, and then, but in the mornings I go and, and feed the animals with my daughter. And that's a really important time for us because she's the middle one. Um, I've got a nine-year-old who's very strong verbally. So takes up quite a bit of space. And then I've got a very clingy two and a half year old. So that is really our time. And then this morning, I really, we had a bad night. Little one kept waking up 
Um, and then I woke up and it was raining and I was just like, oh, I don't feel like going outside. And just that, that kind of that sinking feeling of, oh, I really don't feel like this. And I just noticed that and went, no, actually, I, I it's just rain. It is what it is. It's not about, you know, not getting wet. This is about having that special time with my daughter. Um, so that was a moment of awareness of noticing my inner judgment and then adjusting it to, no, I do want to do this. This is something that I care about and, and kind of removing that judgment from it to just create that energy shift and mood shift. Uh, sometimes that's easier and sometimes that's really, really hard. Um, I, I just, I mean, this is a while ago, but I, when I got my wisdom to teeth out, I was doing a lot of intense mindfulness practice. Like, I don't want to be here. No, I do want to be here. It's okay. <laughs> oh, I want to run away. No, you don't want to run away. That would not be helpful. You do want to be here. Everything's okay. So yeah, you know, whenever something is unpleasant, that I guess is a really good opportunity to go back to mindful thinking to keep that stress at, at bay. Mm, yeah, I am. Um, I'm so relating to this right now because I've got we're on deadline for the magazine, hence Christina not being here. And um, you know, there's always this intensity to putting a magazine out just at the end, and um, and you know if you think about I, I, what I've learned myself is if I think about everything I need to do all at once then the overwhelm comes you know mm. and I just think even like as a, a young parent with with little kids you know it's the all the things you need to do overwhelm whereas if I think about the okay what do I have to do right now in this mm. moment the kids are here I've got to feed my toddler I'll go and do that, you know, mm. the next thing will be, is that kind of like a mindful yeah. situation? Yeah, absolutely. Focusing all of your attention or at least most of it on the here and now. Yeah. And then focusing on the here and now in a kind, non-judgmental way. And, and it's by no means something that me, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't have an opinion or you can't have any feelings about things. Um, but it sort of puts a, a filter on that where the little things don't trigger you so easily anymore. Um, sure, the big things still will, because if something is actually wrong or actually in crisis, then of course you're going to be noticing that and having thoughts and feelings about that. But I find it a really helpful way to keep the triggers over the little things under control. You know, the rain this morning is, is not a big deal. Like it's just a bit of rain. It's not a big deal. But if I'm not mindful in that moment, I know that for me, that could have made me a bit grumpy. And when I'm a bit grumpy and I'm going out with my six-year-old who is very hyper, um, that would probably annoy me. And I would probably be a little short with her. And then she would respond to that. And, you know, it, it's those little things that can snowball and turn what could be a perfectly okay or even beautiful moment into something stressful yeah. so it's really about eliminating that unnecessary stress yeah because they don't even know what's going on for you internally and mm. then whatever you're producing out of you know that what's going on internally is what they're going to see and act out of and 
feel mm. oh, is mummy you know they can misread it to be as mummy upset with me when you're yeah. just really annoyed that it's raining <laughs> yeah and and I think we we are all susceptible to that like when somebody around us is is on edge or anxious or you know one of our first intuitive responses is what have I done wrong and often we haven't done anything wrong it might be something completely external um but yeah it can definitely play a role so I find that it doesn't only help with your own well-being and mental health to have less stress but it also can really help change relationship dynamics and and create yeah more more helpful and and healthy interactions Mm. and and I think it can happen in big and in small ways but if you all if you add that all up I really think it it has changed my life quite a bit yeah 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 when we had you here to do the filming I just remember you know you know how they talk about you know it's not what people say to you it's how they make you feel that you remember Mm. I just remember feeling calm from you yeah (laughs) wow I really need to get into this mindfulness stuff (laughs) She's so zen. I know it's, it's not every day, but you know, not every day. definitely I, I took note. I was, yeah, very impressed. So mm-hmm. tell me about these brain states and triggers and that we, you talk about in the course. Yeah. So in the, in the course, I talk about red, orange, green brain, which is a model that I've used for a long time. And I still love it because it's really simple. Anyone gets it. Um, I'm not sure if my two and a half year old gets it, but I think by the time he's three or four, he will he will he would get it. Um, so it's easy to use um, for adults as well as kids. And essentially, what it means is that green brain is either low or well managed stress, and it means you have all your mental resources available. Um, the back of your brain, the center of the brain, but also the front of the brain are all active and working. And on a sort of chemical level, you'll have higher levels of serotonin and oxytocin, which are our feel-good and and relationship chemicals, and your adrenaline and stress is either low or really well-managed. Now, red brain is the other end. That's where stress chemicals are really high. The feel-good and relationship chemicals drop, and um, that goes hand-in-hand with you know, our brain activity changing. So our our prefrontal cortex, which is where all the parenting stuff, like empathy and perspective taking and self-control and big picture thinking and problem solving, that's all in our cortex, um, goes offline. And we're working mostly from our emotional and our instinctive brain, Mm. um, which is useful in emergencies, but not in situations where you need to stay calm and um, react with empathy and, and healthy boundaries and all of that becomes really difficult in red brain and then in orange brain we've got sort of neutral middle ground but what's quite typical for orange brain is that we're always one step ahead or two steps or three steps ahead of ourselves so physically we might be doing something but mentally we're already thinking about something else yeah okay so many. <laughs> yeah. and, and you can do that forever, right? Because by the time that your body gets to that thing that you were thinking about, your mind just jumps ahead again. Yeah. So you can be in a forever state of not being present. Like your body's here, your mind is here, and that can continue on forever. And mindfulness, and mindfulness is a strong green brain activator, is bringing that back to the same place. 
So having your attention where your body is and, and not having it jump around. So good. I feel like breathing techniques are good for this, for a green brain. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. Breathing. Yeah. <laughs> because your, your breathing is always happening in the now um, yeah. and also when we are in red brain and even slightly in orange um that this happens too is our breathing becomes a lot more shallow and faster we don't do the deep belly breathing mm. so by consciously doing the deep belly breathing um, you're actually bringing your stress levels down through your breath Kind of centers you and actually takes your mind off whatever you're thinking of because you're thinking about your breathing as well yeah yeah, yeah. at h&m you'll find everything from maternity wear to newborn clothing essentials h&m's baby collection offers cute styles and cozy basics that are not only kind to baby's sensitive skin but also to the environment you'll find the softest most comfortable clothing that's been carefully crafted with your baby's safety and comfort in mind. Discover H&M's baby range at your nearest H&M store today. So we were just talking before we started recording about what are some of the sort of most common uh, areas of parenting that you tend to talk through. One of them was um, screen time, the amount of screen time, how to get them off screen time, the, the dealing with what happens when you get them off screen time. Um, tell me, what is a mindful approach to managing screens? Yeah, it's a question that I, I get asked a lot. Um, and I think that's because a lot of parents are thinking about it and, and maybe feel like they need some guidance or advice. Um, it, there's not a black and white rule around it, but I think it's important to realize, especially for younger kids, that screen time, even though it is enjoyable and entertaining and a fun distraction, usually what happens, and, and this is how it, it was in my home, but and I think a lot of people will relate to that, you know, the mornings tend to be quite stressful because, you know, Kids don't necessarily like getting ready and yeah. organizing themselves and then getting out the door on time. So that tends to not be, that tends to be a bit of a stressful time of the day for many parents. Then at school, the teacher gets the best version of your child because they are not tired. <laughs> yet. They've got all their snacks so they can just, you know, keep themselves fed. And there's lots of fun stuff happening. And school is not amazing for every kid but most kids you know that's that's where they have their best part of the day mm. and then they come home and there is this stress increase like the transition stress but also all the emotions that at school they didn't want to let out you know as soon as they see you it just comes blah it all comes out and you have no idea why they're so grumpy or emotional every day but they've been just saving that up just for the moment where you show up or you're safe usually, as well. Yeah. Sorry? You're their safe place as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And and that is a privilege, but it's also hard work when yeah. you've also had a busy day and you're also maybe hungry and tired. And then by the time you come home, you know, often um dinner needs to get done. So what a lot of parents, including myself, 
then would do is go, all oh, right, well, I just can't deal with all this emotional chaos right now. And it doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon. I'll just check on something and I can get the dinner ready. Um, but very often the turning off of the screen is, is a real trigger for red brain for a lot of kids and even a lot of adults. Like if we're honest with ourselves, if we don't find it very easy to switch off from our own screens. So let alone a tired, hungry, um, emotional child that has just been saving up that emotion, not intentionally, but that's how it goes. Because even though when you turn on the screen, it seems to disappear, um, it, you just hit the snooze button on that emotional downloading that, that they were doing. It hasn't actually been processed. So then adding to that, the trigger of turning off the screen usually is a recipe for, you know, quite a bit of stress response. And then when the dinner is getting cold, when the kids are having their meltdowns, that's also not very nice. And maybe this doesn't happen in, in lots of people's homes, but I know that there's quite a few parents that find that challenging. Yeah. Um, and I, I've really been on a journey around that as well, because I really felt that I needed them to be on a screen so that I could cope with the after school emotion plus the having to do dinner. You know, it's it's not easy. I am um, I I once got asked if my first child, um, Ella, <laughs> if we if, if we were part American <laughs> because she had a bit of an American accent at the time. <laughs> From all the TV I put her in front of while I got stuff done. Yeah. So yeah. I soon learned, okay, maybe least TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Was a giveaway. <laughs> yeah, that is so funny. And but I and I think the, the numbers actually are another thing that really got me thinking about this is as a psychologist, I see quite a few teenagers that are struggling. And one of the things that really shocked me about working with them is that just the amount of time they would spend on a screen. And it, it really, maybe I was quite naive about that, but it really shocked me. Like for most of them, it was probably an average of eight hours over and above the time spent on a screen doing schoolwork. So that is an entire workday of social media, YouTube, you know, music videos whatever whatever they do on there and it really made me feel a little bit hopeless in the sense of how do I help these kids if eight hours every single day they spend on these really quite anxiety provoking platforms like what is one hour a week with me gonna do um so it is one of the things that that I really often talk about with teenagers um and I mean, you know, just to be honest, like I have a phone, I have a computer, I am on social media. Um, it's not that I'm against that, but I know it's just really difficult to moderate. Um, and then at some point I did a workshop and I mentioned this as, as a topic. And the next week when I came back, two, pa two parents of young kids came up to me and I, it was, I still remember it clear as day. And they said, we took your advice, we've banned all screens. And I remember thinking, I, oh, okay. I, didn't, I don't remember giving that advice at all. And they said, it's been amazing. It took three days 
And after that, they just accepted it. And we've had so much less stress and arguing and big emotions. And that night I went home and I said to my husband, we're going to do that. And we we did it cold turkey. We went for, I think, about three months, no screen time for the kids at all. Wow. Um, and it actually TV was really phones, Nothing. Kids, nothing. Zero. Just books. Yes. Games. Books, Play. games. And and. It was really interesting because it took them a while because we used to do screens after school pretty much every day Um, and not for hours and hours, but still it was a regular thing. So it took them some time like, oh, I'm bored. Why can't we watch anything? Um, And and we explained, you know, we're going to do this fun experiment and um, (laughs) they weren't very keen. But I think it only took a couple of days and they just settled into this different dynamic of a lot more creativity, a lot more playing together, much better, um, a lot more just going outside and finding something to do, um, a lot more reading, a lot more arts. And it's not like we didn't do any of that, but they were just naturally, I, I think what happened on reflection is that when the screens were such a regular thing, they would not settle into play anything. They would just be waiting for it to come because it always would. So they would just kind of be hanging around, being bored. And then very often in hindsight, as soon as things got stressful, that is what we would do. We would put on something for them to watch. So they they didn't go into any of that kind of green brain play uh, they were just an orange brain waiting for the thing to happen. Wow, that's interesting. That's yeah. Interesting. Yeah, sorry, rookie mistake. I don't know how, but my phone messages come up <laughs> on my computer. I'm like, I don't know how to turn it off. We're just going to hear some dings, sorry. Yeah, I, I don't hear it. So maybe it's not showing up on the record. I don't oh, know. Okay. Oh, well, it's all good. Um. You know, I think back to um, times when we have we've said, "Look, we're going to have a screen-free month with our with our kids," and there's definitely almost like a withdrawal process, which yeah. um, is a little bit scary to think, really. And mm. um, you know, I have heard that screens can be quite, you know, as addictive as ca- cocaine, or have the same effect as mm. you know, pleasing effect, and. And then I, I do notice that the kids actually do get along better. I, and it gives them some space to think. Mm. It's quite different. Instead of always being entertained, um, th- those first few days are actually quite painful for me as a parent because, yeah. like, Mom, I'm bored. What can I do? Mom, I'm yeah. bored. What can I do? And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. just get the screen yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm so busy can I not think yeah that? but you because know in that way we are addicted to their screen time exactly yeah absolutely which is not good but you know if you're gonna do it it's like well let's prepare myself and the family for this let's go to the library and get some mm-hmm. books let's you know, see what activities we could be doing outside or, you know, make a plan. I know in our school holidays with the kids, um, we create a bucket list of things we're mm. going to do over the holidays. So, you know, if we make it a month and then it reassess 
hey, mm. we've, 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 we've achieved the month. Because I think yeah. if you're like taking them off them for more than a month, they might be like, yeah, no, nah, that's not happening. Mm. Um, but, you know, once they've seen that it's okay and they're still able to entertain, find entertainment mm. and do stuff, then it's not so bad. But yeah. Yeah. And it's not something that lasted. So I think we had two and a half, maybe three months. And we gave in when we were renovating our house and we just came. <laughs> But it was it was still really good because I think we all learned from that and then maybe not as consciously as we did, that it was really having an impact on our emotions and on our connection as a family. Because especially when you have young kids and they go to bed at seven, like you don't really get that much time with them. And if that time is after school meltdown, which they may or may not have every day, but for most kids that is there, they're not at their most pleasant, enjoyable, fun versions of themselves after school. Um, and if then they're behind a screen and then dinner can also be quite stressful because now they're dealing with the stress of the screen having to be turned off and then it's bedtime. And I think looking back, um, it really got got us to be closer. Um, so we're not a screen-free family anymore, but it is also not a daily thing. So it's not something that they expect. Um, so it's more for special occasions. You know, we watch family movies. Sometimes they, you know, when it's a rainy day, you know, they can watch something, uh, but it's not a consistent everyday thing. And I think that's really, really helped. On the other hand, Shirley, who's got, um, so my colleague, who's got quite a bit older kids, she went the exactly other way. So she found that policing the screen time actually really got in the way of the relationship and really became, she felt more like, I mean, with permission, I'm, I'm sharing this, uh, like she was constantly policing. Mm. And that really got in the way of her connection with her preteens and teens so she went the other way and said I'm going to take away all restrictions and to protect the connection and and preserve that that relationship and not have it be such a thing and I think both approaches are mindful because it is prioritizing the relationship and the connection yeah do you think that that comes with age though you know there's a point where you've got to control things because the a young one's self-control isn't quite so awesome mm -hmm. as the older ones, but also there's a point where, you know, as you're raising teenagers into adults, it's like, guys, you've got to look after, you know, you you control you now. So yeah. how's it going to look? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think absolutely things change as our kids get older yeah. and, and freedom comes with responsibility. So I think, you know, ideally but they also have to learn how to regulate it mm -hmm. and it's so it's such a rigged game because our screens are intentionally highly addictive so that's not a by chance mm -hmm. so I, I really feel for parents raising teenagers at this time um, I think it's a really tough job because you know this is the first generation growing up with that type of media and that amount and that easy access and that's not something that even a lot of adults can manage really well um so i think it's a challenge but i think understanding the power of screens and how it influences our brain and having regular conversations 
about that with your kids, no matter what age they are. Um, and having regular check-ins on, is this supporting our connection in our family or is it taking away from it? Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Um, I have I have a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. A 16-year-old is turning 17. <laughs> um, but when we allowed them a phone at kind of the age of 13, 14-ish, um, it came with, you know, okay, we want you to say, you know, how how you're going to use it. Um, if you're going to get an Instagram or social media account, what are the risks involved with social media? And we kind of wanted them to look into that themselves mm. and report it back to us so that they've had that time to process and think mm. about it. And yeah. then we've, we've had a discussion around it. And um, I, um, you know, I've talked about, you know, friends who have had kids bully them, their kids on social media and all of that kind of thing. And so we talk about the risks and, and mm. the, the, the disconnect that it can have with the family and the mindless mm. scrolling, which, you know, I'm totally guilty of as well. Mm. Um, but it's made them very aware. And after having like a month off of screens, um, you know coming back they they were less excited about getting back to it because it was quite you know they had just some little epiphanies and I mm. did too which which were really healthy for us and in fact um, when it comes to exam time um, my daughter uh, deletes Instagram and you know she she's mm. just off social media during exams so she's not scrolling um, that's what we call it now just scrolling it's that mm -hmm. scrolling yeah. which is so bad and, you know I actually I love the fact that we still have a magazine because mm. it's that disconnect from you know and just being mindful and being present mm. and having a cuppa and reading your mag yeah, you know? yeah. Um, it's just yeah and it's just such a precious thing but um yeah, yeah. it is it's a very different experience from doing stuff online and and it's not that everything on a screen is bad but mm -hmm. our brain processes it differently and especially in the evenings because of the melatonin and how it affects that yeah, um, yeah reading a magazine is is much better for your brain yeah it's, and it's I felt I feel screens just overstimulate and you know you're not feeling as tired at bedtime as you normally yeah. would if you'd had time to just unwind yeah. and yeah yeah Hey, thank you so much for your time. We should wrap, wrap up now. Um, our next one, we'll, we'll talk through um, more mindfulness techniques and stuff, but this has been really good. I, I've really loved the screen time chat. Um, we ask everyone that we have on our show uh, one question at the end. So I haven't pre-warned pre you on this one. So it's off the top of your head. So what is one thing you swore you'd never do as a parent, but totally do now? Oh gosh, what is one thing? Um, have my kids sleep in my bed with me. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so yummy. I love my babies in my yeah. bed. They're a bit older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And it and I have this kind of love, not hate, but I, I love it and I dislike it at the same time. Um but yeah, I didn't think that I would do that. But my six-year-old is in bed with me every single night. Oh, that's so precious. I love that. But <laughs> um, 
And sometimes, you know, as a parent, it's just like survival mode sometimes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Sleep. I need sleep. I'm seeing clients tomorrow. Jump on in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not even fighting it. I'm I actually just, it's just become the new normal that, um, and it's, and it's, it is nice as well. Like I, I actually really enjoy it. I don't enjoy it when one extra person in bed becomes two extra people in bed. Like that's where it gets tricky. Um, but yeah, I, I never expected that I would be so all good with having a child in bed every single night. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. See you. <laughs> Bye-bye. This episode was in partnership with H&M, supporting you on your parenting journey. Thanks for listening to the Oh Baby podcast. If you've found this episode useful and encouraging, make sure to share it with your village 